0: I don't know if you heard the story this week that came out of Columbus, Ohio, but it was a cool one. Uh, There's a Christmas tree lot there that is run by a a school as a fundraiser. And a family arrived at the the tree lot this week, and they went in there and they bought every Christmas tree in the tree lot uh, to help out the school. But the cool thing was, when they left the tree lot, they didn't take any trees with them, they just paid for the trees. At the same time in that city, there was a family praying, God, would you please allow us to find a tree that we could afford? We don't have much money this this Christmas, and so here's this family with kids, and they go to the school's tree lot. They're thinking, This is where we can find a cheaper tree. And at the same time, help this school out. So they're praying, they get there and they find out that they get a free tree. Isn't that cool? That's what this season is, is marked by. It's a season of giving. It's a season where we give gifts to family and friends and even people we don't even know and may never meet. I want you to think about maybe a time throughout your life where you received a gift. It was a gift maybe that was unforgettable. You'll, you'll never forget it. It's one of those special gifts. Um, or maybe it was a gift that you gave to someone. Sometimes, um, the opportunity to give certain things and to bless others with something. It's something we just don't forget and we thank the Lord that we were able to do that. For, for me, it was, it was one and the same when I was thinking about it this week. I remember back in, in 1999, I know we're going back pretty far for some of you guys. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but going back to 99, uh, I remember uh, I had saved up my money. I had met a girl, all right? And uh, she was one that I was like, okay, this is a keeper, And so I'd saved up my money, but I was like $2,000 short. And so I remember I I took a loan out against my Honda Civic, all right? Dave Ramsey would not like that, by the way. (laughs) But I don't think, I don't know what Dave Ramsey was doing in 99, all right? But uh, I'd never heard of Dave Ramsey at the time, so I I didn't follow his instructions, but uh, I took the loan out and finished paying off this this ring. Um, And I remember getting the ring when I finally paid it off, going to the bank, That that was a big day and I I remember getting the ring, and I remember going to sales. In fact, your son-in-law's daughter sold me the ring back in 1999. I remember sitting behind uh, these glass windows that I think were bulletproof. It's a pretty big deal here at sales. I feel like I went to like the Holy of Holies, uh, the inner sanctum of all jewelry, and so I'm sitting there, and, and we're doing a deal over diamonds. I, n- I never forget all this, and it was just a big moment. And I remember getting the ring, and I had three weeks, and it was just burning a hole, not literally, but, you know, in my pocket. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I, I, I don't know if I can wait to Christmas Eve to give this to Annette. And I waited, and I waited. I finally, I did. And I never remember giving that to Annette on, on Christmas Eve. I'll never forget. It, it, was, it was the greatest. I, for me, when I look back, a gift that I got to give was that. But I also, at the same time, received the greatest thing as well. What an awesome gift that I got in my future wife on Christmas Eve, 1999. And maybe you can remember something unforgettable, a gift that you received or something you were able to give, but giving surely marks this season. Uh, whether it's clearing out a tri- Christmas tree lot and paying for all the trees so that people can come and get them free, this season is definitely about giving. And today as we look at this text, I want you to see that we've received the ultimate gift from God, and that obviously is his son, Jesus Christ, that we've sung about, we've heard, witnessed about today from Riley and from Allison. And As we look at this text today, we see that God has given us Christ, but Christ comes and he grants to us a special gift, and that is the gift of Faith. And so this morning what I would like to do in looking at the gift that Christ brings to us, this gift of faith, I would like to unwrap this gift and let us see what faith truly looks like this Christmas season and what it means to us. And so look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 through 20 to begin. And I want us to see that first of all this morning that God gives to us the gift of Jesus himself. Look at verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. This Christmas season, we celebrate the gift of Christ himself that God has given to us, his one and only son. And we see in these two verses here that Jesus' coming was first the gift of God's presence to us. God's presence literally with us. He says here, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews has in mind here the Old Testament account of the tabernacle. In fact, the writer speaks of this back in chapter 6 and uh, thereafter. But in Old Testament times, there was the tabernacle, and that literally represented it symbolically, the presence of God. And in the tabernacle, there was this second veil. You went from this inner court to this second veil, and this veil was there to block what was on the other side. And what was on the other side was the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the high priest would be able to go into the Holy of Holies, and he would sacrifice an animal and offer the blood of that animal on behalf of himself and the people as an offering to cover the guilt of their sin. And so the tabernacle represented the presence of God with the Israelites. But the Holy of Holies reminded them that because of sin, we're not able to go into God's presence. Only the high priest in the Old Testament was given that privilege. But now we have Jesus. And that's what the author wants us to understand. Now we have Jesus. And the Bible tells us in John 1, 14, that Jesus in flesh dwelt among us. Literally that idea of dwelt is that he is tabernacled. He is literally tabernacled among us. Jesus has. Literally the presence of God is now come to earth in Christ, the Son of God. And Christ has come in John 1.18. It tells us to explain who God is. And so I want you to see this morning, we get this great, awesome gift as the presence of God. That's what Jesus brings to us. And secondly, I want us to see in this text that his coming brings a new and living way. It's a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through what? Through the veil that is his flesh, his body. And so Jesus' coming brings a new living way. It wasn't the old covenant that included dead animals and dead priests that would eventually be replaced and said there's a new way. It's a living way, not through the high priest of old who would go through the veil to the holy of holies, but through the flesh and the body of Jesus Christ, we can now enter into relationship with God and experience his presence in the here and now and also in the future. And so when you hear this idea that Jesus is this new and living way, and that through the veil, he has made a path away via his flesh, via his body. I want you to think about the day that Christ died. You remember what happened in the temple that day? There in Jerusalem, as Christ dies on the cross, Luke records for us in chapter 23, verse 45, the veil of the temple. And so you have the picture of the tabernacle, the second veil that goes in the holy, holy, literally from top to bottom, the Bible tells us, it is torn in two. How awesome is God that as Christ is dying on the cross, he is giving this picture to the Israel people and to us today through his word of what Christ has come to do. He's come to allow us now to enter the Holy Holies, to have a relationship, to have communion with God himself. And Christ did that through his body. And so this Christmas season, as we think of Christ in the manger, the one who has come. He has come as the presence of God to earth so that we can now enter into the presence of God. And he has done that through the cross. And so this Christmas is about the gift of Christ himself, that he allows us to enter the presence of God through his death. And he gives us a gift, an amazing gift, that he gives to us. And look at the next A couple of verses here. In verse 21 of chapter 10, it says, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so we have Jesus, and what does the scripture call him? This great priest over the house of God. So it's referring back to this idea that Jesus has now allowed us to go into the presence of God as a great priest. He has now allowed us to be granted this new living way through his body. And so he's not only the great priest, he's the one who has made the sacrifices, the Lamb of God. And so since this is true, It says in verse 21, let us do what? Let us draw near. This idea of drawing near means to have fellowship with God. That we would be near and have this present reality in our life. Now for an Israelite back in the Old Testament to hear that kind of language, they would have been like, no way, not possible. But it is now. Because Christ has entered through the veil via his body and is now through his death, allowed us to go into the presence of God, to have this communi- communion with God. Literally, the directing of our heart into the presence of God can now happen because of Christ. And he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart, a true heart, in full assurance of what? And here's the key word, of faith. Now, this is significant because faith is how we draw near. It's how we have a relationship with God. It's how we have communion and fellowship with God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, Through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. You hear that? That faith is a gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. We've been given this faith as a gift. God's given it to us through the work of Christ on our behalf on the cross. And this new life of faith is a new life that's been created in who? In Christ. He's created this new life. He's granted it it to us. And as a result, it tells us in verse 22, we've had removed, literally, our hearts have been sprinkled clean. What? This evil conscience. And so guilt for sin has been wiped clean because of Christ. And now he makes us acceptable to God. And so our faith now rests on what God has done for us through Christ. Our hearts are now cleansed. And not only that, at the end of verse 22, it says our bodies are washed with pure water. I love what the writer does here. He goes from the inside to the outside. He goes to the heart where our hearts have been sprinkled clean. We've been made new, uh, white as snow, because the guilt of our sin has been placed on Christ on the cross But he also says here, going to the outside, he says, our bodies wash with pure water. What's that speaking of? I think it's speaking of our our outward confession of faith. I think it literally has in mind here, when he says water, I think literally physical water. I think he's talking about baptism. I think he's talking about that profession of faith. Just as Riley professed this morning in her baptism, the washing of, of pure water. And that confession is because of what Christ has done our hearts making us clean and so we have this faith it's a gift it's a gift and it's how we enter into this new and living way into this relationship with Christ but what does this faith look like because we can talk about faith all morning and many of us would have different ideas of what faith is so what is faith let's unwrap this gift and let's look at it this way look at verse 32 this morning of the same chapter Verse 32 and 33, the writer says, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, this idea of enlightened, meaning um, now you have the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. Your your heart and your eyes have been opened to the reality of who God is through Christ. That's the idea. You endured great conflict of sufferings. You endured a great conflict Uh, conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches, tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. So what kind of faith do we have here? It's a kind of faith that doesn't throw in the towel, right? I mean, look at all these hardships. Look at all these troubles and sufferings. When things get tough, faith faces it. Faith endures it. It's not the kind of faith that just grits your teeth and and just wills it, right? But this is trusting in Christ. So when marriage gets tough, right? Faith trusts Christ, it hopes in Christ. When parenting gets tough, faith trusts in Christ, it holds on to Christ, it believes. You see, the life of faith must face the costliness of discipleship. See, this walk is not just the easy road. It's not mere comfort. It's it's filled with tough terrain, and yet it endures. There's a beautiful passage in Hebrews, in chapter 6, verse 19. Listen to what the writer says. It says, this hope we have, this faith, this confidence we have, is an anchor of the soul. It literally is as an anchor of the soul. Think about a boat. Think about a ship. Think about an anchor this morning. What does it do? An anchor keeps the boat from going here and there, from drifting off. And so we have this hope that is both sure, that is steadfast of one which enters within the veil. And so when the turbulent waves come because of what Christ has done for us, we can trust and hold on to him and we are anchored. Sure, it might be rocky. It may be tough but we hold tight in our faith. This type of faith endures. It is a lasting, enduring faith that overcomes to the end. And when you think about Hebrews, that's really the theme. It's about persevering. And that's what this faith does. Not only that, this faith is evident. Look at verse 34. It says, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Such enduring faith is also evident. Um, Back in these days, little provision would be given to prisoners. And so when it says here that you showed sympathy to prisoners, what it literally means is that Christians back then would go and literally visit other Christians in jail so that Christians could survive. So that they could have meals. So they could have just their daily needs. Unlike today where Prisoners, they get they get three meals a day. Um, they get clothes, warm place to lay their head. But back then, Christians would not be taken care of in prison, and so Christians would go and visit. They would go and care for their brothers and sisters there in prison. Now, this was great risk. When you think about it, because what you're doing is you're identifying yourself also with them, and so that was risky. But Jesus calls us to this kind of faith. He who abides in me, Jesus says in John 15, and I in him, he bears much fruit. And in this case, what that means is we care for others, even if it means great risk. We're willing to even lose our material possessions, it says. That's the kind of faith that these believers had. Not only that, look at verse 24 through 25. Go back a little bit. Faith also looks like this. It says here, let us. I want you to hear those two words, let us. One of the common phrases in this passage, besides therefore, is let us, let us. It's the idea that this Christian life, this life of faith is not just individualistic, right? It is communal. It is community. It is a people. It is a body, And so he says, let us consider how to stimulate, meaning let us think through, let us think about how to encourage, Um, kind of lift each other up, energize people, energize one another, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is a community, that we would find value, high value, in the gathering of the saints. And that we would be present, and as we're present, that we would take serious the role of encouraging one another. Of lifting each other up. And encouraging one another to a life of love and good deeds of caring for people. This is what this life of faith looks like. This is what enduring, steadfast, sure, anchored down faith looks like. It's a life involved with community, a life involved with people. How significant that is. And that we encourage one another, even by each other's presence. How huge it is. Not only is this faith evident, look at verse 34 again. This faith is fixed on something, and I want you to see this. It says in verse 34, I'm gonna read the entirety of it again. For it says, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, and here's the key, Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. There's the key. Where is their faith fixed? Obviously, it's on Christ, the one who has entered the veil for us so that we could now have a relationship with Christ and God himself. But this faith is fixed on a promise. Knowing that we have for ourselves a better possession and a lasting one. What's that mean? Our, our faith is not in the things of this world. It's not in this world. It's not in wealth. It's not in material things. It's not in pleasure that this world provides. It's not in comfort. It's not security. It's not ease of living. But our faith rests in Christ. And look what he says in verse 35 and on. He says, therefore, because that's where our faith is, in this better possession, this lasting one, it says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming, speaking of Christ, he will come. Talking about his second advent. And he will not delay. But my righteous, he says, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. You see, our faith is in Jesus, who promises that the righteous who live by faith will have a future reward of eternal life with God, a lasting and better possession. And so what does that mean? It means this, that this life that we live is literally a life of preparation for eternal joy that is coming. Think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He tells us, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what? The glory that is to be revealed to us. We have grace for the present, but our hope is not only for today, but it's for future grace as well. That God will provide for us a lasting and better possession." And so what is the writer saying here? He's saying, don't throw your life away. Look what you have. This life of faith, this living in better possession. You have that. So don't waste your life on this world and the things in it. But trust in Christ. Hold dear your faith, knowing that God has promised to you an eternal, eternal reward to come that is way better and is lasting. And then look what he says in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. He continues this idea. He's holding onto this idea of faith. And he's going to define it a little more. Listen to what he says. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And so there's that idea of, of looking to the future, future grace. And then he says, the conviction of things not seen. And so that's present. For by it, the men of old gained approval. And by faith, we understand that the worlds, or the ages is the idea, were prepared By the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. You read that there, and and there's some definition here that needs to be kind of expounded on, explained. And so this faith, what is it? It's confidence that things, though they are yet future and though they are unseen, will happen as God has revealed that they will. Faith understands that the world was prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so what does that mean? That means you and I can have conviction about that God has created the world. As verse 3 says, he has created the ages. He holds the ages together. And so faith is seeing that God has made the world. That's one example of it, that he's made the world. And so my seeing is this, that it's evidence that, yes, it is there. And that it is true. And so this doesn't mean that my faith is some academic thing merely or it's not just some abstract idea. But instead, it's practical. I can can see it. I know it. I know it to be true. But here's the deal. Some see it. Some don't. Those who have faith, they see it. They have spiritual sight. And so this faith sees and realizes and understands that, yes, God did make the world. He did create the ages. That's this kind of faith. But not only that, look at the last part of verse 1. He says, or ex- excuse me, the, the, um, the first part of verse 1. He's just told us the conviction of things not seen. I see it. I'm convicted. I, I believe that it's true. But look at verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the idea with that is the idea that faith understands the goodness of God and his promises. It understands it. It believes in God's goodness and that what he says is true. So it's the idea of this. Take Psalm 34 8 for a second. Psalm 34 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. It was an invitation from David to the Israelites to come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's what faith does. Faith sees that, understands it, and for the, the person has faith, that's real to them. They have tasted. They have experienced. They've seen, yes, the Lord is good. It is very much real to them. It's part of their testimony. It's part of their witness. Yes, I can testify. God is good. God is good. It is real to me. And that's the kind of faith the writer says here in verse 2, that that kind of faith is what God approves of. I want us to wrap up with this thought. Because that's what this faith looks like. But, but what does it look like in, in real practical means? What does it look like when, when, man, you hit the ground running this week? Whether you're going to the office or, or whether it's Christmas parties this week or, or whether it's family coming over whether it's you got more purchases to make or or whatever it is this week, what does faith look like when you come up face-to-face with the struggles of life, the reality of life? What does it look like? Look what the writer does here. I'm just going to pull out some verses. There's a lot here, but I'm just going to pull out a couple. But look at verse 30 of chapter 11. Look what he does here. He gives us an example. He wants us to say, okay, you want to see this thing in action? You want to see it in 3D? You want to see, you want to put on the virtual reality mask? You want to do that? Here, I'll show you. And here's what it looks like in verse 30. It says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. You know what I love about this? Is that God works in the extraordinary, right? That's Jericho. Because what happened, the Israelites seven days walking around the walls of Jericho and then on that seventh day they shout and what happens? Walls come down. That's not ordinary, right? That's extraordinary. But what had God told the Israelites? I will fight for you. And man, didn't he? And when they didn't trust him, (laughs) they found out what it's not like all right, to, to trust God. But man, when they trusted him, he showed himself to be faithful and good. And that's what their faith was in, that he would fight for them and victory came over the enemies. Think about Rahab. Now, Rahab here, you, you hear the story of Rahab and you think, well, this is extraordinary. I mean, there's an element that is, but what Rahab's story here, this is kind of ordinary stuff. She's, she's trusting that, yes, hey, what these spies say, that they're gonna be true to their word. She's trusting God. She's gonna be true to her word. And she's trusting God for what? An escape that when the walls do come down, she will be saved. And so God works through faith and his sovereign working to bring literal practical help. He does that for Rahab and deliverance to his people. But let me ask you this. Does it always end in victory? Does the story always end with escape? And when we look at Hebrews 11, we call it the hall of faith. And we think, oh man, these are supermen and superwomen of faith. And great stories and great examples, but we also must remember this that it doesn't always end in victory and escape. Look at this, look at verse 35. It says in the second part, Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Can you imagine that? Do you hear these most likely saints of old standing there, asked to turn on their faith? But they hold strong to the end because they're, where's, where's their hope? In a better, lasting possession. So that's faith, right? And then look at verse 36. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. Some of you guys hear that this morning. It's like, that's in my Bible? There was somebody sawn in two? Who was sawn in two? The Bible actually doesn't record it. But if you go, I know some of you guys with your leisure reading, you're reading rabbinical historical writings in your spare time. Um, But what we find is the writer of this probably reading those writings of rabbis of old found recorded that Isaiah, many believe that Isaiah is the one being spoken of here, that he fell to his death via a saw. And that's probably who they're talking about. They were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy of, amazing, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes and in the ground. And so here's the deal, we may not always taste victory like the Israelites with walls coming down. We may not always experience an escape like Rahab. We may instead face forms of suffering, forms of persecution, We may, like Isaiah, many believe, be sawn in two. But what's the point? The point is this, that those of faith remain faithful even unto death. And so how does this define faith for you and I this morning? I think this is a good way just to kind of put a bow on it. And here it is. Faith is believing this, and I'm going to use some help. I want you to read, actually I didn't put this on the screen, so you're going to have to just listen closely. Um. But listen to what John Piper says on this. He says, faith is believing that God himself is better than what life can give you now and better than what death can take from you later. Can I read that to you again? Faith is believing that God himself is better than what life can give you now. Do you believe that? Will you believe that in the morning? And better than what death can take from you later. So what does that mean? Here's what I think it means. You have it all, you have everything you need, God is better. You lose it all, God is better. That's what faith looks like. That's what faith looks like this week. Everything goes right this week. Everything, you nail it on your to-do list and your schedule. (laughs) You get your Christmas shopping done by Wednesday this week. (laughs) God's better. God's better. Things don't go well when you go in the office tomorrow. This week does not go the way you want it to. (laughs) Faith says, God is better. God is better. And all the time, knowing that because there is a better, lasting possession that I am waiting for and I am hoping for, because what has happened? Christ has come. He has entered through the veil and he has laid his life down as the Lamb of God. And he has made a new living way for me via his death and his body so that I could taste and see the goodness of God for real. Not just wonder about it like the Israelites, but I could taste it for real. And know that my God is better than anything this world could ever offer. And this is just preparation time for a better lasting possession. That one day, I'm going to taste and see and know for real. You can know it now. That's what faith is about, is trusting in Christ. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, your Lord and Savior, you've never had this kind of faith because this kind of faith is saving faith. If you never tasted this kind of faith, the faith that Riley testified about this morning, the kind of faith that, Allison testified about today that that changed the life of her family. Um, I'm going to invite you today to believe, to believe in Christ. You can't do anything to earn it. It's grace. It's a gift of God. And so receive it with your heart today. Believe in Christ as Savior and Lord, that he died for you. He took your place so the guilt of your sin could be removed forever. Do you hear that word Forever you can be made white as snow and receive a lasting better possession, eternal life. Let's pray.